Father, we pray that you would indeed make us more like Jesus. Father, we ask this and we plead for this. In Jesus' name. Amen. For many people, Easter is long gone. Some might have enjoyed a couple of days holiday on Easter Monday and Tuesday, but they're now back to porridge. The schools are back and the focus is on the exams that either have started or will shortly start. The hard-boiled eggs have been painted and rolled and forgotten by now. The chocolate eggs have been scoffed. Easter is done and dusted and the bonnet hung up until next year. And the shops are on to the next big selling point, summer stuff, uh, then soon to be followed by back to school, and then Halloween. And if you were in church about three weeks ago, you might be having a severe case of deja vu at this moment, thinking that you've heard that sermon introduction a wee while ago. Or even fearing that the rector has picked up the same sermon that he preached three weeks ago and you're going to hear it all over again. But as we thought about on the 28th of April, Easter was far from over then and it's still far from over now. We're still in the liturgical season of Easter, but even more, the ripples of that first Easter continue to impact our lives 2,000 years later. The last time we were in First Peter and the last time you heard that sermon introduction, we saw what Easter means for us. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. And new birth into an inheritance which is kept for us and us for it. This is the great hope that we have as Christians, and it's all possible because of that first Easter day. But the ripples of Easter extend further than just our experience of hope. They must also extend into every detail of our lives. You see, the Apostle Peter didn't expect his first readers to sit idly by rejoicing in the hope that was theirs as they waited for heaven. His letter is a call to action, a call to do something with the good news. It must be put into practice in every area of our lives. And we see that by the first word of verse 13 on page 1217. It might be useful if you have it open in front of you. Because at the start of verse 13, the first word there is... Therefore, and whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask what it is there for. hope you remember that. Um, It's a linking word. So what has gone before means that therefore something afterwards comes about. So in light of all that we've seen in verses 3 to 12 a few weeks back, therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. We have something to do if we have been born into this living hope. Peter is saying that our present actions are to be determined by what will happen in the future. So those uh, students who are spending their time revising at the moment, they do that rather than play on the Xbox or go for a cycle or whatever else they might do. They study because they, they know that they'll be opening an envelope in August. And they want what happens now to affect what will happen on that day. Future events determine present actions. And because we are looking forward to seeing Jesus revealed and receiving his grace on that last day, our hope will lead us to action. In fact, it must lead us to action to be prepared for that day. And Peter tells us that we'll prepare for the joys and the purity of heaven by becoming more like how we'll be then to get ready for it. And that is particularly focused in the instruction there in verse 15. Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Peter is quoting there from Leviticus, As you can see in the footnotes several times over, uh, the Israelites who had just been redeemed from the promised land uh, were told, be holy because I am holy. God our Father is holy and pure and good and separate. And we are to be like him. We're to display the family likeness of the family of God. Not the old family likeness of evil desires as we used to live. But now as children of God to to become more like God. To be more holy. Now that sounds simple, doesn't it? But in practice it's very hard. And perhaps you're even thinking to yourself, Look Gary, you don't really know what I'm like. You don't realise how much I try but how... How often I'm frustrated, how, how bad I still am, how easily I find to fall back into old patterns of sin, how often I fall short, how discouraged I am about the whole thing. And I can tell you, I know what you're thinking because I feel the same. We're called to be holy. But everything within us, the the old desires are still fighting within us, fighting against that call. And we might think it's not worth it. We might think, oh, you know, it's going to be impossible, so we'll just not try. Well, if you feel like that, then God has a word of encouragement for you tonight. See, God doesn't just leave you on your own to try to do it all. Uh, by your own effort. God is not like an angry sergeant major shouting at new recruits, telling them they're useless. No, God gives us encouragement as we seek to live out this family likeness of holiness. 
Why? Because he's our father. Because he cares for us. Because, because he loves you. And he wants to see us prosper in our quest to become more like him. We see it in our reading tonight in two encouragements. Two things that God has given to us to help us in our Christian life. And each of them is described as being imperishable. Now that word might be ringing bells with you. Look back to verse 4. Peter tells us that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. He's telling us that it's an imperishable inheritance. It has no expiration date, no best before date. It is imperishable. And then look at verse 7 as well. He says, these have come, uh, these trials that they're experiencing have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, your faith is also imperishable. And the two encouragements that we have in tonight's reading are also imperishable. They won't cease either. We see the first one in verse 17 to 19. He says, Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. To be redeemed is to be bought back from the slave market. To be given your freedom, to be freed from slavery, to be given release through a payment. And did you notice that we weren't redeemed by perishable things, things like silver or gold, precious though they may be, they are perishable, but we were not bought with silver or gold. Instead, it was an imperishable redemption. See what he says? The precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This was the price that God was glad to pay in order to redeem you. The price on your head was more than silver or gold. It was the blood of Christ, something imperishable, something very precious but gladly given for your redemption so that you could be included in God's family and call God your father. And notice as well that it wasn't a last-minute decision. It wasn't a, a, a plan kind of worked out on the back of an envelope. It wasn't a plan B or plan Z. He says he was chosen, verse 20 uh, over the page. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Before the world was made, 
Jesus the Lamb was already chosen and ready for the task that lay before him. Before Adam and Eve sinned, their Saviour was ready to die for their sin. Before the first Passover was celebrated in Egypt, the real Passover lamb was already in place in heaven. And before you were born, Jesus had died for you. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful that God thinks so much of you that he gave his son, his only son, to be your redeemer, to be your saviour. And as we trust in Jesus, we trust God and find that our faith and our hope are in God our Father. An imperishable redemption. Something that will never fade away. In the same way, we are to think much of others. We were thinking of that this morning at Children's Day with the the Sunday School uh, about the, the superpower of humility. Well, here it's expressed in love for one another, sincere love for our brothers and sisters in the family of God, But where does this love come from? Do we just try to summon it up from inside ourselves? Do we try to muster up an emotion of loving all by ourselves? Well, not at all. Peter tells us that our love comes from the second imperishable thing that God has given us, the imperishable seed. He says, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. We have been born again, Peter tells us, by the imperishable seed of God's word, the word of the gospel. Just think for a moment of all the words that you speak in a day. I remember, I forgot to look it up, but I remember one time looking, you know, something like this up. How many words does the average person say in a day? Uh, And um, this is from memory, but it was like 10,000 words for men and about twenty or 30,000 words for women. Um, but don't quote me on that, but it's something like that. Think of all those words. Some of them, they perish straight away. They're spoken and, and you know that feeling. No one's listening to you. And thankfully, I don't have that feeling right now. That's good. Uh, some perish straight away. Others might be remembered for a little while. Some might be recorded and heard a while longer, but ultimately all of our words fade away, just as we will too in this earthly life. But God's word is imperishable. It is alive. It 
endures, it speaks afresh each day and in each generation. Here we are, 2,000 years later, reading these words of Peter, the words of God to us. And Peter says that it's an imperishable seed. It, It takes root in us. It's his word that grows his fruit in us. And it's from this source that our love will grow. When we listen to God's word, when we grow in God's word, then his love will grow in us. And it will make a complete change. At the start of chapter 2 shows us what it will look like. Getting rid of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. All those things that are unloving. And instead we're to crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. In order that we grow up in our salvation. A baby doesn't give you a 3,000 word essay why they need to be fed and they just cry out for it. They're telling you that they need it. They're hungry, that they need nourishment, that they want to grow. I wonder are we the same? Is this what we really want? What we actually the word is crave there? Babies need milk, and we need the milk of God's word to grow up in him. God is calling us tonight to be holy, because he is holy. But he doesn't leave us on our own to do it. He doesn't just give us that bold command and then say, away you go, you're on your own from here. He encourages us with these two imperishable things. The imperishable blood of Christ, which was freely given for you. And the imperishable word of God, which helps us to grow. Our Father is for us. He desires us to become more like him. So as we drink in his living word, Let's grow up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these imperishable things that you have given to us. The imperishable blood of Christ, so freely shed for for our sins and our salvation. And the imperishable word that you have planted in us. Father, we pray that you would make us more earnest for your word, more hungry for that life-giving word. And may it spring up in us to eternal life for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.